Happy Monday, everybody, and welcome in to Bet to Win here at the Blue Wire Studios at the Win Las Vegas. I am your host, Joe Fan. Hope you all had a wonderful weekend. I had a tremendous weekend. I went to Arizona, played some good golf, uh, also watched my Mariners. Four games sweep over the Blue Jays. They've won eight in a row, 11 of 12. They are in the playoffs at the season end of the day, which it doesn't, and it's just absolutely silly to even bring up. But for a team that was down more than 10 games under 500, clawed all the way back. Carlos Santana, the newest Mariners legend. Vibes are high over here uh, with your boy. Uh, good show here coming. Uh, Cam Rogers, my guy. Uh, my favorite golf analyst is going to come on to preview the Open Championship, the 150th Open Championship taking place at the Old Course at St. Andrews. Can't wait to talk to Cam. Also going to preview the NFC North futures market as I continue to make my way around the league and talk futures tickets that I like that I will be placing or have already placed. Uh, but first, unfortunately, I've got an L to hold. And this one stung. I got a little greedy last Thursday. I put together a three-leg baseball parlay at plus 316. Uh, I took three favorites in the first five to win the first five. So minus a half a run. The Astros got it done against the Royals. The Dodgers got it done against the Cubs. And then I bet on, on the Braves against the Cardinals. Spencer Strider, as expected, absolutely lights out five scoreless innings. He had 12 strikeouts in six innings. Unfortunately, the Braves also failed to score a run. 0-0 zero, zero after five innings. You know what's brutal is my two bets I've made in my winning picks so far in July, they've been first five baseball bets, and both of the losers have been 0-0 games after five because on Monday, I took Max Scherzer, uh, and he was lights out, but it was uh, the Mets who couldn't score a run against the card uh, against the Reds, and now it was the Braves who couldn't score a run against the Cardinals. They had runners on second and third, nobody out after uh, or in the fourth inning, couldn't score a run. That's neither here nor there. We've already gone through the weekend. Vibes are back high, and we're going to get a winning pick right here at the end of the show. Let's not waste any more time. I want to get into uh, the conversation with Cam. Let's bring him on. He is a national betting and golf analyst and the host of Lock It In on Believe Network. Follow him on Twitter at MrRogers99. And Cam, we've had you on to talk every single major. This now makes uh, all four. Really excited about this 150th Open Championship at St. Andrews. Thanks again for your time. Welcome back to the show. And, and how much are you looking forward to this weekend? What's going on, Joe? Good to be with you, sir. I can't believe it. The final major championship here of this PGA Tour season. It has flown by. It's been a blast with you on your show and with your fantastic production staff. This is going to be a great week of golf. The 150th Open Championship, Tiger Woods, the old course. Need I say more? It's going to be a lot of fun. So I'm curious, as we talk about this major in particular, and we'll dive into some of the storylines, odds, who we like this weekend. But in terms of the four, do you sort of have like your own power rankings of the four between the U.S. Open, uh, the PGA Championship, the Masters, and the Open Championship? Uh, you, I think there's maybe different wrinkles to all of them, of course, at Augusta. It's the Masters. It's the lore. It's all of that. For some reason, it feels like you always hear about the U.S. Open being the hardest, and they want you know always a par to be a good score, and there's no one. They never want a course that's going to be torn apart you know, for minus 15 for the winner, it's always going to be more around par with not even 10 guys going under par. Um, you know, maybe you think open championship and it's links, it's creativity. It's I'm curious, yeah. just give me the landscape of the majors in your eyes and maybe how you might rank them. Yeah. So I think number one is the masters, right? That really is ushering in a new phase of the golf calendar. A lot of the casual golf fans 
are now actually tuning in once the Masters comes around. It's that feeling of spring warmth is here. The allure of Augusta National, just how of a unique broadcast experience it is as well. You don't say fans, you say patrons. It's very buttoned up. I think that's a great start to the major championship calendar year, if you will. So that's number one in my rankings. Number two, the Open Championship. So I'm really excited here for this week. It is the oldest major championship, of course. You have such historic golf courses on the rotation. Link-style golf that is very unique, of course. Keep that ball low. Three-putt avoidance. These massive greens. And, of course, you learn a lot about the history of the game as well. So I put that at number two. And then the U.S. Open at number three. I think that's a really unique test of golf, of course. Really grinded out type of affair. Of course, Joe, it's great for us casual golf fans to see these elite players struggle on a golf course. You don't get that a lot on the PGA Tour anymore. And then, of course, if I had to put somebody last, of course, the PGA Championship would probably go there. Still a great tournament. It's a major championship, but it doesn't really have that extra juice that the other three majors have. But with that said, yeah, I got the open at number two, so I'm excited for it this week. Yeah, me as well. It's always fun to watch guys play link-style courses because it isn't the norm on tour. Is it too simplistic to say that that creativity is sort of mandatory or at least um, a benefit if you have that in your arsenal and you've got all the shots in the bag to where you can take advantage of you know, the layout of the course. You can play it low if it's windy. You can you know find ways to bump and run from further out than you normally would. Um, is that something that is legit or, or am I maybe you know oversimplifying it? No, absolutely. Listen, any type of golfer can win here at the Open Championship. Colin Morikawa, of course, is robotic with his greens and regulation, but maybe Jordan Spieth, Shane Lowry, 2019, 2017, more so of the artists out there, the scramblers, if you will. It's interesting digging into the numbers here this morning. The number one corollary stat to success at the Open Championship is scrambling. And I think that's certainly going to be the case here this week at the old course. This course reportedly is baked out already. Not a lot of rain recently. We'll see how the weather shakes out. But this could be a hard and crusty golf course this week. But to your point... In terms of major championships, creativity is needed the most here at the Open Championship because you are in these really awkward positions at times. Like you have these really awkward short wedge shots into the greens as far as your approaches. A lot of these guys aren't used to that, especially the shorter hitters. These shorter hitters are not used to 50 yards out hitting it into the green, right? So you've got to really bring that wedge game. And again, awkward shots out of the bunkers per se, these uh, pot bunkers, a lot of times are going sideways to get out of there. So it really is a unique test of golf, but I wouldn't put any one stat, even though I talked about scrambling in a bucket in a vacuum and say, okay, that's what I'm riding with. You need an overall game here at the open championship. It's not about distance per se, certainly not about accuracy. These fairways are very, very wide. Uh, it's about overall major championship form. Can you play on a link style golf course? And, you know, guys like Shane Lowry, Jordan Spieth come to mind here. Uh, Tiger Woods, of course, stealing headlines, as he always will, has his whole career, certainly will continue to, as he picks and chooses different events to play as his career continues. Um, is there any reason for us to think and believe that he is healthier than he was at the PGA Championship, where we saw him really laboring through? Yeah, absolutely. I think it was a great decision by him, by the way. We talked about this for him to skip the U.S. Open, give himself more time, properly prepare, properly recover, and get ready for the old course. 
I did not think the U.S. Open, the country club, was a good setup for him there. So really good move by him to go ahead and skip that. Of course, he loves the golf there at St. Andrews, two-time, uh, two-time winner here at the Open Championship at this very golf course, played this golf course as an amateur back in 1995. So this is something that he holds very close to his heart, right up there with Augusta and other golf courses out there. So for Tiger Woods here to play this week, it lends me to believe he is in better position to play well than, say, the Masters, than, say, the PGA Championship. Of course, the last time that we saw him in a PGA Tour capacity was him at the PGA Championship, where he did not look good. He had to pull out after that third round. But I think there is reason to believe, Joe, that he will be in better position this week to perform. And I said this, I think, in early January. The Open Championship is his best shot to contend here this calendar year because you have that flat golf course maybe won't have so much of a toll on him as say an Augusta national or Southern Hills. So this is the time he's putting in the work right now reportedly has played over 40 holes at the old course. That's a lot of walking. This is the time for him to contend. And I think he has a pretty decent shot here this week. So you like him not just to make the cut, which he has done at the PGA championship and the masters, but to potentially be a top 20 or even top 10 guy this weekend? Yeah, I'm willing to go into that top 20 range. Remember, I was very much off him at the PGA Championship. I was very concerned about his ability to make the weekend. He certainly made that happen, but of course withdrew. But as far as the Open Championship is concerned, yeah, I think there's some top 20 upside, maybe even a sprinkle for a top 10. I know a lot of people are going to put money in the outright market. I'm not going there. But I could see some logic here in the top 10, top 20 markets for Tiger Woods. Again, just because of how everything is setting up, right? You're talking about a golf course that he knows very well, flat golf course. He's getting a lot of reps in. He's studying the heck out of this golf course right now, having, you know, of course, not played since the PGA Championship. And then typically the Open can cater to that older guard on the PGA Tour, right? Because you're not hitting driver off the tee. And Tiger can play conservatively. Hit irons, hit middle of the greens lag putt, make your par, make a couple birdies here and there, and then move on. People forget he was very conservative at that 2019 Masters tournament that he, of course, won for his fifth green jacket. So if he just stays the course in that regard, you know, grinds his way that way, uh, this is going to be potentially a good week for him, and I could see a top 20 finish. I think my favorite storyline coming into this tournament is it feels like the game's best are playing well coming in. We've seen Xander get a couple of wins recently most recently on Sunday, closing out the Scottish Open. Matthew Fitzpatrick just won the U.S. Open, and he's been a rising star in the game for a while. Rory's been in good form. Scotty Scheffler, John Rahm, Colin Morikawa, Spieth, JT. Of course, Will Zalatoris, who is uh, the PGA Tour's uh, most elite bridesmaid so far in these majors <laughs> the last couple of years. It feels like these guys have been all over leaderboards over the course of the last couple of months, and, and maybe that's the norm, but it does feel like all of these guys are ready to potentially, you feel like you could make a case for any of them. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting. The Open Championship over the last few years has sort of been a platform for that second tier golfer to get that breakthrough victory. Shane Lowry in 2019, you know, talking about Zach Johnson in 2015 at the time, you know, Zach Johnson was a brand name. He's obviously trailed off a little bit here. But, you know, there's been some opportunities for guys who are not exactly inside the top five on the odds board per se to really break through. Francesco Molinari at Carnoustie back in 2018 as well. Henrik Stenson had been in so many majors in the years prior to his 2016 victory, goes ahead and wins in that duel against Phil Mickelson. So this is going to be 
a really interesting week for handicapping. I'm not going to eat the chalk per se in the outright market, talking about Shoffley or Rory or Matt Fitzpatrick. To your point, they're all playing very, very well right now. I think there is an opportunity for maybe that second-tier golfer who doesn't have that major win yet to break through this week at the Open. Who is a guy on that list? Give me a couple of names that you feel like are in that bucket of player that have the upside to win a go- to win a major. Yeah, Patrick Cantley is my predict prediction to win here this week. T four last week at the Scottish Open, three top tens at his last six starts, which includes a victory, of course, at the Zurich Classic. He was T fourteen at the U.S. Open. Really balanced game. Doesn't have a top ten. At a major championship going back to the 2020 or 2020 campaign. But you know what? I think I'm okay with that. Patrick Cantley has that game where he's just steady Eddie, right? Doesn't make a lot of mistakes. Really good lag putter. That's what you need here this week. Patrick Cantley is a guy that I'm looking at. Cam Smith as well. We've talked about him. He won the Players' Championship not too long ago in his past 24 rounds. Smith is the second best wind player in that field here this week, which is going to be really critical. Tenth in this field in three-putt avoidance. Cam Smith could be that breakthrough guy here this weekend. You know, Tommy Fleetwood is sort of my dark horse as well. Top five last week at the Scottish Open. Really great wedge player with serious links knowledge. Of course, he's an Englishman. He knows the deal across the pond. Keep an eye on Tommy Fleetwood as my dark horse, but Cantlay and Cam Smith, my top two guys here this week. Are there any lingering uh, live golf tour animosity. Do you feel like that's going to be, it feels like we, we, the U S open, we couldn't get away from it. Every single, it was either talking about Matthew Fitzpatrick, one of the U S amateur at the uh, country club, or it was the live tour. And that was the conversation that dominated the weekend where it sort of, to me, took away from the golf that was taking place that weekend. What was a really good tournament. It feels like everything has sort of died down or at least gone to a simmer for the moment being Rory felt like he kind of came back on his comment saying, you know, more of the understanding of, okay, I get why guys did it. They made their decision, do their thing. There's no bad blood. Where do you think things stand um, between those two sides right now? I think we're approaching the end of the news cycle, if you will, with the live tour and the discussion around it regarding these major championships. Obviously it was not surprising to see the RNA announced that they will allow live golfers to play in their open championship because of course the same logic with the u.s open it's an open if you're qualified you should be able to play so we have that case here this week guys are getting asked about it and guys are getting annoyed with it it's starting to get a little bit oversaturated joe i'm not going to lie because really the focus this week should be st andrews 150 years of the open championship Tiger Woods, a lot of these live guys are irrelevant this week as far as contending is concerned. Maybe Dustin Johnson has a chance. He played decently at the U.S. Open. Patrick Reed, but outside of that, I'm not on Brooks Kepka. I'm not on Louis Oosthuizen. I know Louis won back in 2010 at this very golf course, but that's his only PGA Tour win. I mean, it's amazing. So for the most part, these live guys are not going to contend here this week. So why they are part of the conversation here this week really is letting me to wonder So again, I think we're heading toward the end of this new cycle. And certainly after the Open Championship, it's not going to be talked a lot about because really there are no majors left until April, uh, the Masters, and maybe it'll get brought up then. And we'll see what Augusta National does about these live tour golfers. So stay tuned there. But I think we're heading toward the end. I will say about the U.S. Open, you know, Phil was a big conversation topic because he was suspended by the PGA Tour the last week. And then... 
was going for the career Grand Slam at the U.S. Open as a suspended member of the PGA Tour, but Phil was nowhere close to contending there at the U.S. Open. So, Joe, I think we're heading toward the end, but you know what? We got a full week, a couple of days here of interviews, press conferences. We'll see what comes about here. It starts on Thursday, ends on Sunday. I'm envious of you being an East Coast guy. Normally, being an East Coast Coast sports fan leads to late nights. For me, in this situation, uh, on the West Coast and Pacific time, it's going to lead to some early mornings, making sure I catch a majority of this 150th Open Championship from the old course at St. Andrews. Again, Thursday to Sunday. Uh, Cam, thank you so much for your time, man. Always love catching up. Always love talking golf. Uh, Thanks again, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Hey, man, appreciate you. It's been fun this year. Talk soon. Great stuff from Cam. He is, again, the national betting and golf analyst and the host of Lock It In on the Believe Network. Follow him on Twitter at MrRogers99. Let's talk some NFL. NFC North is where we turn. Last Monday, it was the NFC West. On Thursday, with my guy Nick Day, as we preview the NFC East, the North uh, here today. And then on Thursday, we'll preview the NFC South with Tim Murray, who's coming in studio to talk football. We'll talk NFL. We'll preview the NFC South. We'll talk futures markets and obviously college football. Tim being a college football expert, we will talk realignment and where he thinks college sports are headed in the craziness again of the conference realignment uh, with the big news that USC and UCLA moving to the Big Ten. Um, and there, that's just, that is going to be the tip of the iceberg. There's going to be more to come, certainly each and every year, uh, it seems. Let's talk NFC North. And in my opinion, sort of as a, maybe the worst division in football. Um, outside of Aaron Rodgers, not a whole lot of intrigue here. You have Aaron Rodgers, a Vikings team that is perennially underwhelming and underachieving. And then arguably two of the worst teams in football with the Lions and Bears. Uh, team totals, Packers are at 11 and a half. They won 13 games last year. The Vikings at nine, they won eight a year ago. Um, the Lions at six and a half, they won three. And the Bears also at six and a half, they won six. Odds to win the NFC North, Packers at minus 185, Vikings two and a half to one. The Bears and Lions at 10 to one. And the odds to win the NFC, uh, 475, uh, plus 475 for the Packers, 18 to one for the Vikings, 50 to one for the Bears, and 75 to one for the Lions. Then finally, Super Bowl. 10 to 1 for the Packers, 40 to 1 for the Vikings, uh, Bears at 100 to 1, uh, and the Lions also at 100 to 1. It's no surprise to see the Vikings, sorry, the, the Packers as overwhelming favorites. They've dominated this division for quite some time, but they didn't get better this offseason. Maybe they didn't get a whole lot worse, but they don't have Devontae Adams anymore. Darius Smith uh, goes to Minnesota. They re-signed Robert Tanya, but he's coming off a serious injury. Didn't draft a wide receiver, but they're banking on, what, Sammy Watkins to come in and be their number one? Guy who plays well when healthy, but is rarely healthy. I guess it's, you're just banking on Aaron Rodgers, which is understandable. He's one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. I just don't see any value in the Packers market here to justify taking those swings because I think they're very much inferior to both the Rams and the Bucks. So if you're going to take a favorite, I would take one of those two teams. Where I see the value is with the Vikings. And I know I just said they're perennially underachieving, which they are, but they won eight games a year ago and they found ways to choke so many games away, starting in weeks one and two in overtime against the Bengals and then against the Cardinals in week two. They start the season 0-2 with two road losses, games they absolutely should have won. And you go through, you know, seven of their nine losses as games they not just could have won, but should have won. 
They bring in Kevin O'Connell, uh, who you hope will, will get the offense to be one of the best in football, as it should be with Dalvin Cook, Adam Thielen, and Justin Jefferson. Um, and you expect some uh, positive regression from a defense that ranked 30th in 2021. Again, they signed Darius Smith away from the Packers in free agency. They re-signed Daniel Hunter. I like the Vikings a lot. Their win total is nine. So I think at worst, you can get a push here. They play four games against the Bears and Lions. That should be three right there. They can split with the Packers. And then there aren't enough teams in the NFC that scare you to where you say the Vikings don't have a shot. So, I mean, go through the schedule. Uh, Saints, beatable. Dolphins, beatable. Cardinals, beatable. Commanders. Uh, Jets, certainly on that list. The Colts, they can beat them. The Giants. There's a lot of wins out there for the Packers. And while Kirk Cousins, certainly not the best quarterback in, in football and is, is often a whipping boy uh, for NFL Twitter, you could certainly do a lot worse. And when he's playing well, he can beat anybody. And so I like the, the, the Vikings across the board. I like them at 40 to 1 to win the Super Bowl, sort of in that bucket with the Eagles as dark horse teams who could, who could make a run through the NFC in the playoffs. Only you're getting them at an extra, you know, 20, where the Eagles are 20 to 1. Vikings get you at 40 to 1. I like that. I like the odds to win the NFC. I like the odds at two and a half to one to win the NFC North. It's, it's, you don't have to worry about the other two teams. It's not going to be the Bears. It's not going to be the Lions. And you're one either injury to Aaron Rodgers or one just little bit of regression from him to where he's not the MVP of the league that you'd say the Vikings can absolutely get it done. I think they're kind of the NFC's version of the Chargers where they, you look at it, say, hey, there's no reason why they shouldn't. So I'm on the Vikings across the board. Um, is that unwise? Potentially. But I'm willing to, I'm willing to be hurt again by this team, um, especially given that I don't have a ton of faith in the Packers to continue to be the wagon that they've been in this conference. Uh, with the Lions, Aiden Hutchinson coming uh, to them, number two overall, certainly helps. I think they are going to be kind of in the bucket of the Seahawks where they're going to be competitive and potentially a great bet on a week-to-week -week basis against the spread. But do they ultimately go from three wins to seven to cash that over? Probably not. So I'm probably looking at the Lions as a week-to-week -week value plays, a team that has enough offensively. I think Amon Ross St. Brown, one of the, the breakout stars of the 2022 season, uh, DeAndre Swift is going to be a first-round pick in fantasy drafts this year. And the defense, again, should continue to get better. Um, I like them from an entertainment standpoint compared to the Bears, who I think we're gonna, are going to be unwatchable. And maybe I'm wrong, and I am just piling on. But I don't know how you have a second-year quarterback who you are trying to set up for success. And you can, you can say to him with a straight face of, hey, we want you to succeed, and we're giving you the tools to succeed. Allen Robinson not there anymore. And their response is they sign Byron Pringle, who was fine in the rotation in Kansas City playing with Patrick Mahomes in an Andy Reid offense. But now to be the number two alongside Darnell Mooney, who's also a fine receiver in his own right. Fantastic deep threat. But I'm not even sure it's a conversation about who has the worst skill-playing core in all of football, because it's got to be the Bears. Especially when you throw in, who knows how good Justin Fields is going to be. 
But give me the Lions as a more watchable and entertaining team or a team I would be, I'm going to be willing to bet against the spread on a week-to-week basis compared to the Bears. They don't have Khalil Mack anymore. Traded into the Chargers for a second rounder and a sixth rounder. I don't know. I don't know what's going on, what's going on in Chicago, but uh, that's a, a franchise that has been gravely disappointing for years, and it looks like it's going to get worse there before it gets better. Uh, so that's my uh, preview of the NFC North. Give me the Vikings. Happy to do it. And it's a bet on the Vikings and what I think a team I think that got better during the offseason and will be better in 2022, especially when you consider close game positive regression that you expect to see from them. And I don't think just making the the Packers minus 185 favorites solely because of Aaron Rodgers, I don't think that really uh, illustrates a mundane offseason from them. And so how long can he continue to be superhuman? Maybe it continues, but I'm happy to take the value on the Vikings in the futures market. Uh, let's get to a promo. WinBet's 50. Uh, bet 50, win 200 promo rolls on. New WinBet users can receive $200 in free bets after they make their first qualifying deposit and place their first bet on WinBet. Once that bet is settled, uh, you will receive four installments of $50 free bets. Go to winbet.com or download the WinBet app for official rules and details. Winning pick time, as I mentioned, um, my July record is 0-2, which I'm not proud of. And while I've lost both of those bets in the first five market, I'm going to run it back, which, Joe, what are you doing? You suck at first five bets, and you're right. But I'm a glutton for punishment, and I'm going to run it back with Mets and Braves. And you know what? The two bets I've lost have been 0-0 first five. So what do you do? You bet a first five under. And I'm betting first five under three and a half at minus 120 with the Mets and Braves. Uh, Aces on the mound. Max Scherzer against Max Freed. Um, both have been on fire of late. The Mets have struggled since June 1st. They rank 19th against right-handed pitching in WRC+. And I'm just banking on Max Scherzer doing Max Scherzer things. Uh, home runs have to be solo shots. No crooked numbers. Under three and a half. Mets at Braves here on Monday evening at minus 120. That is my winning pick. And that's going to do it here for the show. Appreciate Cam Rogers coming on to preview the Open Championship. That uh, starts on Thursday. Uh, set your alarms because you're going to have to get up early on here on the West Coast if you're going to catch a majority of the opening round. Uh, excited for Thursday's show. Again, my guy Tim Murray from VEASAN is going to come on. We're going to preview the NFC South and also talk all things college sports and realign because there's a ton to unpack there. With that, it's uh, bet to win. I'm Joe Fan. We'll see you Thursday. Enjoy your week, everybody. 